Trek Geeks is proud to have Fansets as its presenting sponsor. Fansets is the place for amazing pin collectibles with over 200 officially licensed Star Trek pins and new releases every month. Stay tuned for a special discount code good on your next order at fansets.com just for Trek Geeks listeners. Fansets. Our pins have character. This episode is also sponsored by Science Division, the makers of the world's first interactive Tribble that you can control with your smartphone. Keep listening for a special Trek Geeks discount code when you adopt a new Tribble at sciencediv.com. Science Division. Trouble's never been this fun. Hi, this is Michelle Specht. I play Dr. Elise McKenna on Star Trek Continues. Oh my god, I'm totally fangirling right now because I just met Dan Davidson and Bill Smith of the Trek Geeks podcast. Oh my gosh, they are amazing. From the secret transporter lab at Podfleet Command World Headquarters, it's the biggest little show this side of the Alpha Quadrant, the flagship of the Trek Geeks Podcast Network. Greetings, humans, orchids, and other life forms. Welcome to the Trek Geeks Podcast. I'm your co-host, Bill Smith, and this is episode number 216. We're excited to be here. We're going to talk a little Voyager today, and of course, by we, I do mean my co-host and I. If for some reason he was fused with an orchid during the transport process, I would do whatever I had to to save that orchid. That's right. He's the largely discardable Dan Davidson. And Dan, welcome aboard, buddy. Hey, thanks for having me. So I was wondering, if we yeah. were fused in a transporter accident, would we be Dan Liam or William? Anyway, it's good to be here. Episode 216. Yeah, you know what we're talking about. Transporter accidents. Flowers, guys with bad hair. It's Tuvix. Gonna say right up front. That's what we're talking about tonight. Are you saying guys with bad hair and looking at me because of my new Rona haircut? Oh, your hair looks fabulous. There's that guy <laughs> on Saturday Night Live like, you look marvelous. Yeah, Billy Crystal? Yeah. Well, Playing no, Fernando? Fernando, that's what it was, yes. There you go. You, you look marvelous. You look marvelous, my darling. Um, you do look marvelous. Um, Thank you. I actually, I don't mind Tuvix's hair because it kind of looks like Neelix's hair and... I don't mind Neelix. It's, uh, it's, it's kind of thin and, and, and just in the back, so it's kind of weird to me. But we'll get into that later. That's, uh, well, you know, that's uh, more of the simple-minded uh, commentary that you and I engage in on Trek Geeks, uh, according to, uh, to some listeners. But, um, Dan, for the, everybody else that's still tuning in, why don't you tell them how they can get in touch with us and tell us their favorite Tuvix moments? Well, that might not take very long, but uh, if you're looking to get in touch with us, <laughs> you can head on over to trekgeeks.com slash contact, and there you can find a multitude of ways to communicate with us. Let's see. There's Skype chat. There's email. There's even voicemail by way of that big blue button using SpeakPipe. Whatever way you want to contact us, just make it so because we love hearing from you. 
Plus, there's also the most positive Star Trek group on Facebook. It's called Camp Kinemer. It's our official group, and it's where over 1,600 other friends gather to talk Trek. It is always positive, and no bashing or gatekeeping is ever allowed. To join the group, just head on over to facebook.com slash groups slash Camp Kittimer and be ready to be part of a truly wonderful social experience. And as always, we want to thank our wonderful admins, Haley, Jackie, Sarah, and Dan, for the amazing job they do running camp. Also, please remember that any comments or messages that you leave us in any of these places may be used in a future episode. We're going to send it right back in the studio with Bill Smith. Bill! Well, we're not in the studio because of social distancing. Oh, true. Um, true. So right back to just I guess me and my yeah. house. Yeah. Oh, great. Looks great. It sounds a whole lot less interesting, doesn't it? Well, you yes. know what I've noticed with all these uh, reporters and people reporting from home mm. is they have worse setups at home than most podcasters do. <laughs> yes, they do. And um, there are a whole lot of independent and, and non-professional broadcasters out there like, say, I don't know, Dan Davidson and Bill Smith yeah. that are putting out content that sounds and looks a whole lot better. <laughs> Very nice, very nice. Dan, it's time for the news from treknews.net. <laughs> Hold on. Yes. Hold on. I need a second. I need All a right. Second. That was beautiful. What the hell was that? That was, that was techno, baby. <laughs> is that what that was? I don't know. Are you listening to some EDM these days? <laughs> Do you know what EDM is? Nope. Okay, spanning the Alpha Quadrant. <laughs> For all the news on all the Star Treks, yo. <laughs> it's treknews.net. <laughs> Was that the, the rest of the Corona Seltzer you were drinking? or Regurgitated. Online at treknews.net. First up, Dan. You know, we are truly excited to welcome a brand new podcast to the Star Trek universe. And the this one is being hosted by people who have firsthand knowledge of the Delta Quadrant. Right you are, man. Yeah, this is awesome. Trek Geeks is very happy and excited and would like to welcome Robert Duncan McNeil and Garrett Wong as they embark on their new podcast adventure called The Delta Flyers. With a weekly format, the duo plans to rewatch the Voyager series, giving behind-the-scenes stories of their experience starting in the show, uh, starring in the show rather, which is celebrating their 25th anniversary this year, as we all know because we talk about it all the time. Uh, the first episode of the Delta Flyers podcast is scheduled to be released sometime in early May, and will be available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all the normal podcast type places. And additionally, additionally, I don't. I should put my glasses on because I can't see anything tonight. While the show uh, will be offered as a free download, the boys have set up a Patreon for those who wish to support them. You know, it's always cool to welcome a new Star Trek Star Trek podcast to the universe, especially uh, when two Trek alums are hosting it like these guys. So, best of luck to them. I'm gonna have another drink because I got to get this twisted tongue out of my mouth, just like Tom Paris did in Threshold. You made it all the way through the GD contact information, mm. which you yeah. normally screw up. This is your seven third weeks? week in a row. Oh, God. It's like seven weeks, dude. Come on. No, it's it's actually the third. You, you made a, a brief mishap four weeks ago. 
and you you wrote this copy. I yeah, I know. I wrote the other stuff, and you said it flawlessly. I do it all on purpose because I know it's what the fans. You are so full of crap. <laughs> Um, the first thing we should state is that the mm. Delta Flyers is not on the Trek Geeks podcast network. Correct. For those people who, who may be confused. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Robbie and, and Garrett are, are going to do a great podcast. I have to think that this is in, you know, inspired in part by the Office Ladies podcast that uh, Jenna Fisher and Angela Kinsey from The Office are doing. Mm-hmm. Um, they are rewatching The Office as, um, as former cast members now some years hence. And it's a great podcast. And I have every confidence that the Delta Flyers will be just as good. Um, I think it's going to be awesome. I know that there is a lot of things that we can't predict because these two great guys are going to have a great time doing the show. But there's one thing that I can guarantee is going to happen with this podcast. What's up? Garrett's still an ensign. <laughs> wow. Boom. I'm going to say, I'm going to, you know, save this part of the recording for future use. Um, <laughs> If we ever have Garrett on the on the show, I'll be sure to replay that for him. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, Dan. Uh, up next, we recently talked about Jonathan Frakes directing a few episodes of Discovery's upcoming third season, but he has some new information to share about it. And I say new with a question mark. Yeah, and yeah, he does. Um, in a recent interview, he discussed uh, a couple of things. First, uh, while he was up in Toronto, Canada, directing his season three episodes, he also filmed his Captain Riker scenes on a redressed set of Discovery's Bridge to resemble the USS Zheng He. Zheng He. I'm not sure how you pronounce that. Um, for the season finale of uh, Picard, uh, it's pretty cool when you actually think about how they use these awesome sets and can redress them. And I did notice that the chair he was sitting on was was the Discovery Captain's chair. So I thought that was kind of neat. Also in the interview, he discussed Burnham's journey. Quote, Michael Burnham has found a new core, not to mention a new partner in crime. So again, there's a big tonal shift on that show, less driven by the pain and guilt of her past and more about the magical reunification of the Discovery crew and wherever she went off to. God knows where she went as the Red Angel. So those two things coming back together is very much the theme and how grateful everyone is and what's next. It's got a lot of action adventure and not so much pain, end quote. Of course, her new partner in crime is a new character named Booker, who is played by David Ajala. As the crew of the Discovery is 930-ish years in the future as season three opens, Franks has previously ta- Franks has previously talked about this creative challenge, saying, quote, finding a future that's futuristic but is practical to shoot has been fascinating. You can't get caught up in the technology. It's about maintaining a basic core of why we're there, which is to tell emotionally compelling stories, end quote. And I got to tell you, Bill, every time I read anything from Jonathan, my respect level for him as a director and as a storyteller just climbs exponentially. We've said many times over the last few years that anytime you see Jonathan Frake's name attached to something as a director, you know it's going to be of top-notch quality, and I have every confidence that season three of Discovery will be the same thing. For those who don't know, and this was just announced today as we record this, on Wednesday, April 29th, so which is as this podcast drops, Jonathan Frakes will be doing a Q&A rewatch of Star Trek First Contact with IGN.com. 
And it's uh, Wednesday, April 29th at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. He's going to answer fan questions from the film. Um, you have to stream it yourself locally because they're not playing the film, but he is going to be doing a live chat and that will kick off at, at 8 o'clock and as everybody watches First Contact at their own homes. But that's on IGN.com or either the IGN or Cinefix YouTube pages. Um, I love Frakes. I love I love the hell out of him and he's yeah. probably one of the best ambassadors that Star Trek has ever had. I totally agree, man. And you're one of the best ambassadors Star Trek has ever had, Dan. And you're always one to enjoy a good Star Trek read. And this latest release, going back to the news, has been a long time coming. Yeah, it's been a long time coming is right. Way back in 2009, when the Star Trek reboot film was released, there were supposed to be several Kelvin timeline novels released shortly thereafter. But rumors have it that Bad Robot and J.J. Abrams requested that these novels be canceled so as not to interfere with the plans for what would become Into Darkness. So we're going to fast forward to 2020, and the first of these novels is now available, originally titled Refugees, and then renamed The Order of Peace, and finally renamed yet again The Unsettling Stars. It's now available for purchase as a physical book or an e-novel from any of your favorite retailers. The story takes place just after the 2009 movie, with a crew thrown together by the chaos of Nero's invasion of the Federation and the destruction of Vulcan, and they must now work on becoming a cohesive crew in the light of the events of the clash with that Romulan. One of the uh, one of the film's most controversial moments back in 2009 was making Cadet Kirk captain of the flagship of the fleet. Uh, this is a Jim Kirk who knows he has lots to prove. He understands he doesn't have really any track record of success to lean upon. And he's also aware that his command could be taken away from him at any moment. Our friends over at TrekCore.com have given this novel a very positive review. And they also discuss that the next release of the Kelvin Timeline novels will be David Mack's More Beautiful Than Death, and that'll be released this coming August. Now, there are elements of these stories that may be different than what we expect based on what's happened uh, in both Into Darkness and Beyond, but they should still make for some interesting uh, Kelvin timeline reads, my man. Well, the interesting thing, too, is The Unsettling Stars is written by Alan Dean Foster. I forgot to say that. Yeah. Who is legendary in in sci-fi novels. I mean, he's written some of the great Star Wars novels of all time, like Splinter of the Mind's Eye. Mm-hmm. Um, he did the novelization for the film Alien. Uh, so, I mean, he's he's written some some really great genre things and, and even adapted some really great genre things. He also did the, the novelizations for Aliens, and he's he's written some of his own original material, but he is a, an author of, of legend, for sure. Yeah, anytime you get any of these big names releasing uh, novels, it's something I'm always interested in. Of course, I mentioned David Mack. I'd, I'll read anything of his uh, in a heartbeat, so I'm looking forward to that in August, but uh, I'll... I'll be checking this one out, and as a Kelvin Timeline fan, I'll, uh, I'll let you know what I think. See that you do, mister. See that you do. Well, Dan, another week, and of course, another moment that we have to talk about our good friends over at Fansets. As the month of April draws nigh, that means one thing, new Star Trek pins, baby. Yeah, new Star Trek pins, and maybe even new non-Star Trek 
pins, my friend, uh, because uh, the first of the month and the 15th of the month, Fansets releases new pins for all kinds of cool genres like Star Trek, DC, Harry Potter, Big Bang Theory, Irwin Allen, Ultraman, and coming soon, oh, Batman 66, Scooby-Doo, The Flintstones, plus I could go on and on, but we're running out of time. As we record this very message, Bill, May 1st is just days away. And I can tell you that the one and only Micro Crew Locutus will be making his debut this week. Dare I say that resistance is futile when it comes to this pin. And also, we alluded to this last week, folks. This Friday will also include another Star Trek pin release, which is going to completely blow you away. It is huge. It's big news, my friends. It is so big that we can't actually tell you what it is until Friday. So keep your eyes and your ears peeled on Fansets and Trek Geek social media pages because, believe me, when you see what this pin is, you're going to want to head right on over to Fansets.com and place your order. Trust me. It's not often that I know what I'm talking about, but in this instance, I know what I'm talking about. It's You usually know what you're talking about. You just usually can't talk about it because you can't say it. Right. Exactly. Yes. I mean, it chills me to the very core to say that Dan knows what he's talking about, but I have to give it to you this time. It's actually true. And after you hear this special new release on Friday, May 1st, do what Dan says. Head on over to fansets.com, place your order, and at checkout, enter the very special Trek Geeks discount code TUVIX. That's T-U-V-I-X in all capital letters for 15% off your entire order. We promise that's not going to split your order into two separate carts. We guarantee it. <laughs> I got that <laughs> This bonus code will be available to use until Wednesday, April 6th, uh, May 6th, 2020 at midnight Eastern Daylight Time. It's Wednesday, May 6th, 2020. Fansets. Our pins have character. And we thank our friends at Fansets for being the presenting sponsor of Trek Geeks. Well, Dan. I'm going to work on my copy. <laughs> you? <laughs> you? I, I, sh- I should check these things ahead of time. I should. That'll, that'll, <laughs> now you know what you get from missing Although meetings. it wasn't spelled wrong. That's true. That's so that's a Which, positive. Oh, it's a rarity. That's what it is. <laughs> Drink your toilet water and shut up. <laughs> but we're going to talk about Tuvix. Um, really, you can't look at the Voyager 25th anniversary and, and some of Voyager's uh, amazing you know, moments throughout all seven seasons without talking about this particular episode because it is so different and it is so dividing <laughs> that's funny because thank you thank yeah, you i worked on that it is um i mentioned it last week this is one of the most polarizing episodes of of definitely voyager and maybe even star trek as a whole because of the question is janeway right in doing what she does and it really is something when i was re-watching this episode trying to keep an open mind and not you know, knowing what's going to happen at the end of the episode, but just trying to to look at it from a different point of view, it's it's tough. It's a it's tough to decide what's right and what's not right. And you can have a, you can have examples on either side of the equation why one is right and why the other isn't, and vice versa. Yeah, you really can, and I think that's actually one of the beautiful things about this episode is that there is no clear cut moral center. Um, because if you choose one way, one person dies. If you choose the other way, two people are dead. Um, there's, there's no good answer because you're losing a friend or two friends either way, I think. 
And I, I think that's really what makes this episode so different. It, it is an impossible choice that Janeway faces in this episode. And I think that's probably one of the reasons why it's so great to talk about. Yeah. And, and I got to say, uh, we'll get more into detail about things, but one of the very correct and very interesting things that Janeway says when she's trying to decide what she do, what she has to do is if they had had the, the, the ability to correct it right after Tuvix was quote created, it wouldn't have even been an issue, but he was around for a few weeks. So it made that decision that much more difficult. And I thought that was an interesting point. Well, not only was he around, they let him integrate himself back into normal right. duties and stuff, mm-hmm. which really kind of surprised me. Janeway has an impossible decision in this episode, but it's a, a position she put herself in by letting him go back to normal, as it were. Am, am I wrong about that? Not at all. Nope, not at all. I mean, but at, at the same time, it's not like she really, I don't feel she had a choice in that respect. This this new person, Tuvix, had Neelix's memories and skills, if you want to call them skills, and Tuvok's knowledge and skills. What are you going to do, just keep him in sickbay for however long until they can figure out what a cure is going to be like? He can, he can, he can make Contribute. He can contribute. He can help. Um, so I don't think it was a wrong decision, but I can certainly see your point that she kind of caused the uh, avalanche of problems that would come down the road. And it really kind of is an avalanche. I mean, there's not only Tuvix not wanting to die, but there's also uh, other crew members not wanting him to be killed, which is really what we're talking about. Right. Um, it, I've seen some people postulate that it comes down to the needs of the many. And I, I have a hard time swallowing that because for me, that's not what this is about. Uh, Voyager could have gotten along very well with Tuvix as the tactical officer and occasional cook. Mm -hmm. This wasn't about the needs of the many per se, because those qualities, those abilities still existed. Um, I just, I, I I have a hard time with it. I don't know how you feel about it. How I feel about having Tuvix stay around or the decision that was made at the end. Neither the, 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 uh, mindset that some have that this this decision was about the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few or the one. Oh, oh okay. No, you know what? That that line popped into my head um, as I was rewatching this. Uh, I watched it a few times before we recorded this week, and I immediately threw it out because I really don't think that has any weight to what happens here, in my own personal opinion. Yeah i I have a hard time rationalizing what Janeway does with that because it's. Yeah. It's really not about the needs of the many. It's about no. the needs of the one. Exactly. Um, or and in this two, case, if you really want to, you know, have an axe to grind. Well, in this case, I would say the one was Janeway. Oh, okay. I was, I was at the one was Tuvix. And, um, and yeah, sure. Some sure. Also. Yeah. Well, I, I think, I don't think you're wrong. And I don't think that, that I necessarily am either. I think it applies to both, honestly. Oh, I think you're right. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I, I think that one of the aspects of that, well, let's back up for a second. So this episode, for those who may or may not have seen it yet, first, you should go watch it because it's a fantastic hour of Star Trek. Mm -hmm, It is. Um, But it it tackles the topic of symbiogenesis, where two life forms are fused at the molecular level into a single different being, which I think is a fascinating concept. Um, And then the, the moral dilemma is, well, should this one person be restored to his original form, uh, which would cause him to be terminated in the process or killed. Um, This is not a dilemma we've seen on Star Trek before. And I think this is one of the reasons why, especially in early seasons of Voyager, 
you know, lifelong Star Trek fans might've seen this and gone, oh yeah, that's Star Trek at its core. Oh, it absolutely is Star yeah. Trek at its core. It gives you a dilemma that involves a lot of really heavy thinking. I, I, I've been trying to tie stories of the day to this episode and I, I couldn't come up with any. So I don't know if there was anything going on back in the nineties that, that we could kind of relate this to, but I mean, this is a, this is a perfect example of, of, you know, a lot of people say, what would Kirk do? That that's WWKD type thing. Wow. What would Janeway do? Um, and it's something that is, it, it really, it would really be interesting if we could figure out a way to have this story written in the sixties with Kirk and what he would do facing the exact same scenario versus what Catherine does in this episode. That's really fascinating. I haven't thought about that before, but it also makes me think of what would Jean-Luc Picard do? Any of the captains, yeah. Um, yeah. Because Kirk and Picard are just so vastly different. Right. Yep. Um, I think that Kirk would eventually do the same thing that Janeway did. I agree. I'm not so sure about Picard, though. I agree. Again. Yeah. Good point. I, I, I think I, it, I think what, it depends. What about Cisco? While we're while we're talking about the captains, let's talk about them all. I think Cisco would do what Cap, uh, what Janeway did. I do too. Yeah, I do too. Yeah, and Archer, I I think he would simply just out of not knowing what else to do. Archer doesn't have the technology, so it wouldn't happen anyway. <laughs> <laughs> no, but we can pretend to Paul does. Right. That's oh, there you go. Yeah, that's right. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I guess. <laughs> no, it's uh, it's an interesting. You know, it's it's something that I, I I was wondering about this afternoon actually when I was getting dinner ready. It's like, wow, what would Kirk have done in this situation? And I thought of that meme. What would Kirk do? And it's like, yeah, that's that would be quite an interesting story. It's especially, kind. Of, I'm sorry to interrupt. Especially yeah. if it was like Spock and McCoy and became Spockoy. Then Sp- I mean. <laughs> So, that just popped into my head, so I'm taking credit for that one. Wasn't he in Fast Times at Richmond High? No, that's Spicoli. I'm sorry. Um, yeah. It strikes me as the opposite problem is the enemy with, within from the original series. Yeah, it really yeah, it really does. Um, yeah. You have two beings fused into one and, and not the ability to unfuse them, whereas the, the enemy within was one person bifurcated into two different pieces. Um, some I, 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 I've heard some people call this episode derivative of, of that original series episode. And I honestly just don't see it no. because it is so different in its tone. I think I, I also think I, that's another thing that I thought of earlier uh, today is, is enemy within, but in enemy within, they had to fuse them together. Otherwise it would have died. Um, this was not the case here. Two ox, two Vicks wouldn't have died um, if they decided to not return them back to the two of them. Whereas Kirk and Kirk, they would have died by not right. by by being separated. So there was a little bit of a difference there, which made it a lot easier to have to figure out what to do. One of the aspects of this episode I really enjoy is the obvious awkwardness that Kess has throughout the entire story. And I have to say, for as much as people don't like Kess, it is played extremely well by Jennifer Lee and throughout this whole episode, um, especially in the scenes with Janeway. Uh, yeah. But... I think that that really the the unsung hero of this episode, aside from Tuvix himself, has got to be Kess. Yeah, I agree. I'm not. I've never been a huge Kess fan. Everybody knows it who listens to the podcast. I thought she did great in this. Um, the emotion was genuine. 
Um, I wasn't focusing on her bounce the way that she walks down the, the corridor at <laughs> all in this episode, which I always do when I watch Kess. It's just something that drives me crazy. It was genuine. It was real. And like you said, those moments, the one moment where um, she's in um, Janeway's quarters at night, yeah. and then again when she goes to talk to Janeway, quote, on Tuvix's behalf and just breaks down and hugs Janeway, totally amazing epi- uh, 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 scenes by both um, Kate and Jennifer. I love that scene where she goes to Janeway's quarters. Uh, you know, Janeway's ready for bed. And mm-hmm. that scene is really great because it allows Janeway to get vulnerable. And Janeway's talking about her own past. Mm-hmm. And you can tell that there's a part of the scene where she actually reaches for her own neck out of discomfort and fidgets a little. And you can tell that it is not the kind of thing that she is used to opening herself up about. And I thought it was played just so incredibly nuanced by Kate Mulgrew. And it was, it was probably one of my favorite scenes in the entire episode. She's not the captain in that scene. She's, no, she's, she's not. She's kind of being a mother. She's being a, a sister or, or something. She talks about hearing Tuvok's voice when he reads, when she reads the letters that he wrote. Um, and yeah. also, um, about what's going to happen if she never sees Mark again. You would never expect to see that from a captain um, in a in a, any other type of social gathering. Um, so for her to be able to do that in front of Kess shows just how much she was being affected by what was going on. I like that we get to see a little bit of Janeway the person this early on in Voyager and not necessarily the captain because I think it makes a huge difference in this episode. If it had just been Captain Janeway talking about something that happened to her, I don't think the scene resonates as deeply, quite honestly. I totally agree. Um, um, and the other scene with Janeway in the ready room where Kess breaks down, like you said, is is absolutely phenomenal. It's I think it's what pushes Janeway toward, no, we've, we've got to find a way to undo this, honestly. I, I totally agree. And, and, you know, of course, you see the emotion uh, on Kess. I mean, she breaks down crying. And then when they're hugging, you see the the the, the anguish in, in Janeway's face uh, during that hug. But I got to tell you, um, I'm not sure if you want to talk about this later, but I'll bring it up now yeah, since we're talking about the, the, the Janeway moments. The scene at the end, she is I'm, – I'm, I'm surprised that not a word is spoken outside of Catherine saying exactly what she's doing with the controls in, in sickbay to separate – or to get uh, Tuvok and Neelix back, she is the captain. She is ramrod straight. She says what she has to say. She leaves the room. Only when she leaves the room and nobody's in the corridor do you see that breakdown that she kind of has for a split second about the enormous weight on her shoulders about what she just did. And I thought that was perfectly done by Kate Mulgrew. 100%. I I couldn't possibly disagree with that. now, I, I think this episode raises a whole bunch of other questions that I hadn't considered before today. So earlier today, I did a Netflix watch party with some people in Camp Kittimer. Yes. Thanks to those who were able to attend. Greatly appreciate it. I had a good time. But we were able to live chat while watching a synced um, viewing of the episode, which I thought was kind of fun. And I, I guess it left me with this. I mean, you know, Janeway asks it, at what point did he become an individual and not a transporter accident? And that led me to, to wonder, should the doctor have tried to continue to find a way to defuse the two individuals? And I have to say, I, I don't know. At what point do you consider them lost and leave them lost? Uh, should they have? I, I honestly don't know if I know the answer to that. That's one of the great things about this episode is there are a lot of questions that are asked that 
it's really hard to find an answer to or to even think there should be an answer to. Uh, and that's one of them. And it's even more interesting that he has that decision at the beginning of the episode to continue to try to find a way. And then only after Tuvik's um, vocalizes that he doesn't want to die, does the doctor uh, quote the Hippocratic Oath and say, I'm not going to take part in this because he doesn't want to die. Well, and more importantly, he says a really key phrase, which is, I have the right to live. And that's really the thing. He really does. He makes Janeway's decision impossible. She can't, there's no way she can make the right choice doing what she does. Either on either end of it, whether she chooses to let him exist as, as Tuvix or whether she brings back Tuvok and Neelix, mm-hmm. it is wrong on some level. And I think that we don't really see Starfleet captains put in that kind of impossible. This is her Kobayashi Maru, honestly. I think I'd rather deal with the Kobayashi Maru over and over again than this, to be honest with you, man. (laughs) (laughs) I really do. I mean, it's just, it's, uh, I know the decision I would, I would make, but it's just, it's, it's one of the things that I'm sorry that Voyager was a week to week series. Like we've talked about with TNG, you know, Worf breaks his spinal column, but next week he's fine. We never see any repercussions or call back to what happens in this episode ever again. Nothing. Yeah. Whereas if it was written today in the likes of Discovery or Picard, I can guarantee you that there would be some kind of reference or callback to this at least once, if not more times. Well, you know, we've talked many times about um, Trek shows having amnesia from week to week, you know, because they forget what's come before or they forget where they've been when they create a new storyline. Here's a great example. In the original series, uh, the Romulans have a cloaking device. And then later on, we find out, hey, did you know the Romulans have a cloaking device? We got to go steal one. Like as if they didn't have it a season ago. Yeah. Um, And that kind of happens here. I think that this could have been really more effective or even more effective if Tuvix had been around for a few episodes Mm -hmm. and then they discovered that they could unfuse them. Because I think that would have carried much more weight. And does that fall into one of the things that we have faulted Voyager about over the years, even though we love it as much as we do, is the writing? We've talked about how the episode is great for 38 minutes, and then the last eight minutes, it's like, oh my God, we got to write an ending quick. Maybe they shouldn't have done that here either. Maybe they should have had Tuvix around for a few episodes so that people would even love him more and then make the decision even more gut-wrenching when they find out what they can do to get the crew back. Yeah, I I think I have to blame that more on the studio than anything else, and oh, not necessarily I mean. the writing, you know? Yeah, I'm sorry, I meant, yeah. yeah. Um, but let's assume for the moment that they didn't have amnesia and they, they remembered these details from week to week. Okay, let's, for the sake of this discussion, do you think that Tuvok and Neelix remember, each remember their time as Tuviks? I personally do. Um, and the reason I think that is because of the reaction that Neelix has when he comes back and hugs Kess. It makes me think that he realizes everything that happened and is glad that it's back to just him to love her. Do you think they both share the same memories or that only one of them does? No, I think both of them do. Okay. We don't really see it from Tuvok, but doesn't he say something like it's good to be back, Captain, or something like that? Um, I'd have to go back and rewatch it to see if that's exactly what he says. If that's what he says, then he definitely remembers. Otherwise, he probably would say something like that. Um, but I am of the opinion that they do remember it. So assuming now in in this discussion, let's just uh, let's pretend 
that again, that these memories get carried on and they get to build off those moments for the characters. Do you think that either Tuvox or Neelix would carry survivor's guilt as a result? If anyone were going to, I would think it probably would be Neelix. But I really haven't put much thought into that. It's something I would have to think about. I, I don't. I don't know. I gotta. I gotta say no. And I don't want to sound cold when I say that, but no, I think it's a little bit different than what we know of Survivor's guilt. And you know, it's the, that's the science fiction aspect of the show. I, I have to think they would if, if they didn't develop amnesia from week to week. I know Neelix absolutely would. And I think Tuvok would in his own way. And it perhaps wouldn't manifest itself until some other episode down line where he was emotionally compromised somehow. Mm-hmm. I think that I think that could have been a really interesting plot point to, to build out, to sort of round out these two characters' experiences as this one being. Um, but I, knowing that they retain Tuvix's memories and the fear that he had before he, you know, got beamed out of there, I have to believe that on some level they would, just as compassionate beings. Saying the fear aspect makes it a little bit more... Uh hit home for me that maybe they would i didn't put, yeah. i didn't think of it in that way but yeah because he definitely i mean the way that he reacted on the bridge which was like whoa what's he doing but he was scared to death literally um, yeah we're gonna come back and talk about that entire last act of the episode in just a second but first we want to talk a little bit about our friends at science division dan um they're a wonderful small business and a brand new sponsor here on trek geeks and they make one of the coolest products ever they make triples they make tribbles. Yes, they make tribbles, Bill. They make amazing tribbles, I might add. Uh, we welcomed them to the network last week, and the response from our listeners has been absolutely amazing. And why wouldn't it be? And after all, how often is it that you can purchase your very own officially licensed tribble and actually control it with your iOS or Android phone? I mean, it is just so cool. They are incredibly soft. They purr when they trill. You don't need the app to play with them because, of course, they're Tribbles, and they're very soothing. And yes, I'm going to say it. <laughs> the tribbles are not dangerous unless you're Klingon. <laughs> if you are going to use the app, they do have three modes. There's at ease where they're sort of happy and content and sort of, you know, purring. There's a on duty, which is a random mix of happy and angry sounds. You can probably faintly hear the triple there because I don't think it's close enough to the mic. But um, And then there's watchdog where they sound largely angry. Like Dan, they're loud and they shri- they're shrill. And uh, well, the app also has an attack button, which makes your triple scream on demand at your friends, family, or especially your coworkers. Or podcasters, yeah. Uh, and as, as you know, we've been talking a lot about supporting small business lately. And Science Division is just that. It's a husband and wife team, Jay and Kalia, who are huge Star Trek fans. And her childhood dream was to own a real triple. And it's become reality with this new awesome product, which is just awesome. Like I said, it's awesome. It really is. And the best part is, Dan, the response from our listeners of the Trek Geeks Podcast Network has been so great that Science Division is offering a special $5 discount code for Trek Geeks listeners. It is, it is fantastic. So head on over to sciencediv.com. That's sciencediv.com to place your order. Now, normally these beauties go for $69.99 plus shipping. But if you enter the special code GEEKS, you will get $5 off your triple adoption, which I think is, is awesome. That is fantastic. 
Science Division. Trouble's never been this fun. And we thank our friends at Science Division for sponsoring this week's episode. So as we sort of maneuver back to Tuvix for a moment, I want to talk about that sort of final scene or final series of scenes in the, in the last act. So uh, Janeway comes out of her ready room, walks up to the tactical station and says, you know, I want to talk to you in private. Tuvix is like, no, no, I think we can do this out here <laughs> because he knows what's coming. Yep. He, he knows that Janeway is going to say, uh, you're done. If I had, you know, whatever, let's go. Um, and he, I think he essentially thinks he's shining sunlight on the situation by doing it. And then he attempts to make his case. The thing that astounds me about this scene is that not a single member of the bridge crew displays any empathy whatsoever. Yeah. Well, I want to say that what I was going to say, what I thought you were going to say is nobody says a word. That too. They all kind of look like, uh, yeah, I hear what you're saying, bruh. But it tells me that every single one of them would have made the same decision that Janeway had made. Would they? Based on their reaction, I got to say, yeah. Especially Chakotay and Paris. Well, Paris, it, it almost looks ashamed because he looks away the last time that Tuvix talks to him because he can't look him in the eye. I don't know if he feels as resolute about it as Janeway does or if he just feels like uh, there's no change in her mind. Oh, uh, see, I took it as uh, I say, as him saying, yeah, I, I hear what you're saying, man, but I'd be doing the same thing. And he couldn't look him in the eye because he felt that way. I have a hard time believing that on a vesselful, a uh, vesselful? A vessel full of Starfleet officers that not one of them would stand up for a life form and say, no, and and say, um, we don't have the right to terminate this, this person's life. Yeah. Because really, it's funny. The only one who does is the non (laughs) life form (laughs) is the doctor. Um, I think that's one of the first things that astounds me because I expect that on a Starfleet vessel, somebody is going to go, uh, excuse me, hmm. um, we're Starfleet. We don't lie. Yeah. Um, and we don't do this. Now, they may get outvoted. They may be, you know, uh, the, the captain may pull rank, but I, I think that was really one of the things that surprised me and sort of the denouement of this episode. And then you get to sick bay. And the doctor, who literally just spent the whole episode trying to create this process to unfuse the two beings, says, oh, yeah, by the way, I can't do this. Yeah, that was kind of a like a say what moment. Um, it really was. I mean, I understand when he when he explained it and I took it as, OK, he was OK to do this until the person that he was going to defuse said, I don't want to die. I have a right to live. And then he's like, oh, yeah, I got to I, I can't do anything now. But no, but then he continued on to find the process to unfuse them because well, that yeah. happened to like two, like a commercial break before that. <laughs> but wasn't he working on it and we didn't actually see the doctor again or was it, I got to figure out exactly when he said, I have a right to live and when he called Paris and said that he figured out what they could do. Well, so what happened was, you know, they're in sick bay. Um, they discovered they could unfuse the two flowers. Yes. Yep. And they're all standing there and says, yeah, this could work. And then Tuvix says, well, except for one thing, I, I don't, don't want to die. Right. And then they cut to commercial. Yes. And then that was at the end of act four. Yeah. And they come back to act five and uh, Harry's playing the clarinet right. again. Uh, okay. Yep. So the doctor should have been like, okay, he just said he wants to die. 
computer and uh, emergency. We shouldn't continue this, probably. <laughs> exactly. Yep. So that was really my only problem mm-hmm. with the script was that the doctor all of a sudden pulled the Hippocratic Oath card after he had already created the thing and knew that the guy didn't want to die. I'll tell you what. That was a pretty – I think they did that for for the dramatic effect. I do too. But that could have been so much more a dramatic effect if they had done anything other than genuinely saying, okay, step aside. That could have been really – that could have been quite a moment um, for the doctor, for his whole existence on the ship if Janeway wanted it to be. But she just said, okay, step aside, and she did it, which probably made her feel even worse because she's the one who actually did it. The part that really gets me is when – on the bridge, I'm pretty sure it's on the bridge. Tuvix says, "I forgive you." Yeah, to Janeway. And although I appreciated that line there, I thought that I thought that that could have been even a little more uh, poignant and personal if he had said it to Janeway privately in sickbay, one on one, like in close quarters, mm-hmm. and even whispered it in her ear, possibly. I think that would have been resonated far more and probably affected Janeway even more. Do you think that it that he possibly did it in front of everyone trying to say it to each one of them to have it make more of an effect to maybe make her change her mind? Oh, I think that's why, you know, it was written that way yeah. to give it that. But I, I think dramatically it would have been far more poignant if it had been just one-on-one with Janeway because of the relationship she has with both tu, uh, Tuvok and Neelix. If he had just said that, you know, either right. quietly or just personally one-on-one and not after, you know, he'd been essentially pleading yeah. for his life on the bridge. This this may sound a little dark and macabre, but I kind of wished that during that scene, right before she started um, doing the medical transport, that there was some kind of sent word spoken or some kind of of viciousness, even though he said, I forgive you all, but something right at the end, he just sat there stoically. I mean, there wasn't anything he could do, but I think if there was more of an outward show of emotion on his part at that moment, I think it made it would have been another one of those dagger in the chest moments for Janeway that she had already had several of in this episode. Well, at that point, I kind of felt like he was a death row inmate condemned to Mm -hmm. die. Mm -hmm. You know, the 11th hour appeal didn't work out and he's resigned to his fate. It's like, well, you know what? This is going to happen. You know, uh, I, there's nothing I can do. There's nothing I can say. There's nothing I can physically do. Um, but I, I think at that point it was just uh, begrudging acceptance on his part. Maybe I'm wrong, but that's just the way it seemed to me. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it, there's so many things that are done right in this episode, but for the, for the wrong reasons, does that make sense? Yeah, it absolutely it's, does. I mean, it's just, it's just, you look at all the different things that happen in this and you're just like, you're like, well, I'm sure we're going to get into what would you have done shortly, but it just makes you think of all these different things that happen in this episode. And you're like, man, it just makes it harder and harder to decide what to do. And I will say that one of Tuvix's best lines is when he's in the ready room with the captain and she's talking about, I wanted to have a discussion with you before I make the decision. And he's like, I don't really think it's your decision to make. It's mine. I thought that was a brilliant statement from him. I agree with you. Well, it, it brings up the whole, you know, um, individual rights question. Mm-hmm. You know, who has the right to, to make the decision? Obviously, she's the captain of the ship, but um, we're talking about a sentient humanoid life form that has free will. Yeah. Um, you know, granted, he was a transporter accident, but it's like she said, he's, he's an individual now. 
um, with all theoretically all the rights according thereof, except he's not, not when it comes to what Janeway wants. Yep. I agree. I agree. Is this potentially Janeway's worst decision ever? No, I don't think it is at all. Um, uh, somebody said it today in the chat and I'm not sure if it was you. I think destroying the caretaker might've been one of the worst decisions, <laughs> but uh, that's just me. I think it was uh, John Krikorian actually. Um, no, I don't, I, I don't think this was one of her worst decisions by far. I don't think that at all. I, I kind of do in a way, simply just based on everything else we know about Starfleet. I mean, I'm not broken up over it. You know, I'm glad to have Tuvok and Neelix back, but simply as what I expect the Starfleet captain to do, I think that this is right up there among some of her worst decisions. Now, granted, all the captains have made bad decisions somewhere yeah. along the way. Yeah. Um, granted, she didn't poison a planet, but... Um, <laughs> I think Cisco will always win that trophy. <laughs> yeah, he probably will. Um, but I, for me, I, I do... Th- there's no... Like I said earlier, there's no way she can make a good decision with this one. Right. Um, either way, she does this. Somebody's going to die. Mm-hmm. It, it literally is, it, it is not a good decision, um, but uh, that doesn't necessarily equate to it's the worst one, but I think it's up there, at least from my opinion, uh, because I, I expect differently. And I also, we had seven years of, of Janeway and I can't really count a whole lot of things that she did that were really bad decisions. Right. But I, I just, but the way I feel about the whole situation, I just don't consider it one of her worst ones. And I, I guess this is the question. Well, I mean, I think we can all agree. She, she, some people say murdered. Some people say executed. Some people say killed. She terminated the life of Tuvix. I don't, that's not in doubt. Mm-hmm. She straight up killed him. Should she have? That's really the question that everybody comes to with this episode. Yeah. So let's take it on. Um, should Janeway have terminated Tuvix? I would have done the exact same thing she did in a heartbeat. Well, aren't you cheery? <laughs> <laughs> I, and 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 it, it would have been a difficult decision, but it would have been my decision. So if anybody, if I'm a captain of a starship and this happens, um, and you are a new fused being, you're in trouble. Um, <laughs> you're going to airlock me. Yeah. Um, I would have done it um, as well. I. It, it would be difficult, of course, we we don't have the situation where we're with this new person for a long period of time. So it's easier for me to say, well, I've been with these people for a long period of time and what happened was an accident. So they shouldn't be dead because you live. I just, for me, I would, I would have done the same thing. I, I would have too, as much as I think it's one of Janeway's worst decisions. Um, mainly because I'm not a big fan of Tuvix. <laughs> um, that's really the spoiler alert here. And I don't know if it's because the guy that plays Tuvix was also George Costanza's boss at the Yankees in Seinfeld. <laughs> that's awesome. He was also in, I think he was also, if I remember right, he was the thanks for the ride lady in Tales from the Crypt. I have to look that up. Uh, yeah, you really should look that <laughs> up. Um, because I think I need some more data on that. Oh, oh God, that's great. Um, but I, I think that Janeway... Um, I think she should have. And you know, I joke, I joke all the time that I would have airlocked Tuvix. Um, I would have done it, you know, seven days a week and twice on Sunday. Um, 
because I feel like she needed both Tuvok and Neelix back in their respective roles. In some ways, I think it was a very selfish decision of Janeway's. Um, but I don't necessarily begrudge her that because of the situation that she, both she and Voyager are in. Um, should she have done it? <laughs> I don't know. Um, would I have done it? Oh yeah. I would have yeah. done it in a heartbeat. I would, and, and I have to, I have to correct myself. It was, he was not the thanks for the ride lady, um, in Tales from the Crypt because that was not in Tales from the Crypt. That was in Creepshow too. Oh my so, bad. <laughs> yeah. No, that was my bad. I, you know, I was joking. I was joking. <laughs> but I'll blame it on you anyway. Nice job, Bill. Oh, well, well, thank you. Um, you know, I, I, I do have to say I love how you how you said that a few minutes ago, that you would have done it because you just didn't like Tuvix. So I kind of think it's funny that if the guy was cool and you liked him, you wouldn't have done it. Totally. I don't like, I don't, I don't like you. So although I will say, I will say, one of the things that I thought was great, I'm going to an A and B point here. Hmm. A when they were fused together and we first saw Tuvix, that meld of Tuvok's uniform and Neelix's outfit was probably the best looking Starfleet uniform I've ever seen. Those paisley swirls in that gold part of the tunic were just awesome. But that brings up a very, very, very serious question. When they are returned, why is Neelix wearing a Starfleet uniform? Why are either of them wearing a uniform? Well, why wasn't the orchid wearing the uniform? Oh my God, where's, where's the orchid? The orchid? <laughs> <laughs> where's the GD orchid? Yeah, well, I don't know, because that would have been funny if they'd both been sitting there, you know, completely nude and <laughs> holding a flower. <laughs> no, and the orchid would have had the the uniform on it. <laughs> You're sick. <laughs> no, I think that would have been hilarious. That's quite frankly, um, oh. here's the other thing that I want to know. So there's a scene where um, Tuvix winds up in the mess hall and it's it's chaos because people are trying to fend for themselves. Mm-hmm. Do people in the 24th century not know how to cook? I don't know. Has I technology think. really done this to them? That, I think, is a shout out to what we're dealing with today. Even though it was back in the 90s, all this stuff was coming out that things you could do things without having to really do anything. That's what that is. That's a slap in the face. It's like the it's like the floaty chairs in Wally. All the people just sitting in those chairs and they don't exercise and they drink coke and eat pizza in the floaty chairs. That's what that is. That was a slap in the face to that. I'm gonna take your word for that because I've uh, obviously never seen Wally. Okay, it's good. You should watch. It's very hard. It's it's a very heartfelt story. You like it. You recommend every Disney movie to me, and um, I still probably not gonna see it. All right. Um, there were elements of this show that I thought were still remarkably relevant, um, in, in the light of the, the COVID-19 pandemic, mm. um, when you're talking about, um, you know, having, not being able to see the people you're used to seeing, when we're talking about isolation, when we're talking about Janeway's feelings of, uh, of being alone. Um, a lot of that really resonated with me more than the very first time I watched yeah. this episode. And I actually thought it was really kind of interesting. It's um, kind of fascinated me the way that our situation today kind of colored my perception of the rewatch of this episode. No, I think that's a very good point. Um, I do remember that when I watched this years ago, it was interesting because it was a dilemma and it was a classic and core Star Trek story, but it didn't just really sit with me the way that it has over the last week as I've watched it three times, like I said, I think it. I think that's a very good point that with everything that we're dealing with right now, it has much more meaning and has much more teeth to it. 
Which is interesting because Neelix did not have good teeth, or Tuvix, rather. <laughs> ultimately, ultimately, I'm glad we got Neelix and Tuvok back because I've really grown to love those characters. I have a question. Yeah. Sorry, no. You made me just think of this just now, and it was something that you brought up earlier. If they have the memories, which I believe they do, do you think that helped strengthen their relationship that Neelix tried so hard to strengthen with Tuvok over the core of the series? And then we had that final uh, moment of them together when Neelix left the ship in season seven. But I I was wondering that. I do. I think it was um, probably the domino that that fell to sort of really um, solidify their growing friendship, honestly. Um, and I'm, I'm sure it's not the creepy memories of Tuvix creepily hitting on Cass in the episode. Cause I'm like watching that and I, I'm getting the heebie jeebies because Very creepy. I'm like, Eesh. as a matter of fact, a lot of people use that word in the chat today on the, on the, uh, on the watch party. Creepy was said several, several times. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, uh, go ahead. I have one other thing to say. Yeah. Um, the holodeck scene when they're playing pool. I am no Fats Domino or whatever the name of the guy. No, wait, wait, wait. Fats Domino was a singer who sang <laughs> I Found My Thrill on Blueberry Hill. <laughs> You're thinking of Minnesota Fats. Minnesota Fats. See, I had the right word. I'm fat. That's no, you okay. didn't. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm no, I'm no good pool player, but I play pool in my time. And that shot that Tuvix made to win that game was one of the easiest pool shots like ever. So I'm kind of really wondering how bad Tom and Chakotay are at pool if they're being beat with shots like that. <laughs> Just throw that out there. Minnesota Fats Domino. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, I'm not a really great pool player, and I prove that every time I go to my sister's house in Georgia. Um, and we all you know, have a couple of drinks and try to play pool downstairs. That's I'm, I'm terrible. I do not find my thrill on Blueberry Hill doing that. Um, uh, I guess Sandrine's never really did anything for me. Eh, and ultimately, it didn't do anything for the writers because after a while, they abandoned the concept. Right. Didn't even, didn't even say why. It just never showed up again. Kind of like Fairhaven, just gone. Yes. Yep. Good. Um, yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I can see we're going to have to do a Fairhaven episode. Um, but yeah, I just, uh, I don't know. So... Um, guaranteed to be an episode that people are going to talk about for as long as people are watching Star Trek. Mm, yep. As people discover Voyager and, and rewatch Voyager, this is going to be an episode that people still, every time, are going to go, man, what the heck? And, and they won't be wrong. And here's what I hope. And I know we don't have to worry about this with anybody who listens to the show or anybody in Camp Kittimer. When you have these discussions with people, there is no reason to become the trolley people that we see online and say, oh, this sucks because blah, and don't give a real reason. You can have a, you can have a great debate about what you think should have happened versus what other people think should have happened. IDIC, everyone's opinion is their own and they're entitled to it. So have good conversations about it, people. Well, unless you're, uh, you know, low-end podcasters, no. you know, like us. Your opinion's stupid anyway. So. Well, simple-minded, simple-minded. Simple-minded, yes, that's the new one, yes. Yeah. Well, Dan, you know what is not simple-minded? That is the music of Five-Year Mission, our dear friends who uh, provide all the music for this particular podcast and also have a podcast on this very podcast network, the eponymously named Five-Year Mission, the podcast. That means means it's named after them. All right. 
Um, <laughs> we want everyone to go out to fiveyearmission.net, get all their albums on CD, get them in your hands, listen to them, uh, because we guarantee you're going to become huge fans. They're writing one song for each episode of Star Trek. And this is not parody. It's not making fun of Star Trek. It's enhancing the way we see these episodes. They're all original composition. So that's fiveyearmission.net. Go get all their albums today and find their podcast in your favorite podcast app. Every song tells a story that makes you think about the episode in a different way. That's one of the things that's so awesome about their music. You know what else is awesome about Five Year Mission? Is these episodes that I just keep finding, dude. And I got two words to say to you. Actually, it's, I guess it's three words. Dr. Richard Daystrom. That is three words. It is three words. He was great. I am great. You know him. Uh, he was a genius. Uh, no doubt about it. He designed the latest technological masterpiece to be able to handle uh, all Starship functions without the need for human assistance. And the first real test of the device would be war games with other Starships in the fleet. But I think you know, Bill, things went wrong, terribly wrong. People died. Starships were destroyed. And the boy wonder went mad. All because he imprinted human engrams of one particular drummer onto the device's circuits. You have got to watch the ultimate computer and see the MFARC multitronic system in all its glory. Saru is not amused. <laughs> he, he looks like he's contemplating that it actually was a pretty good Farkism. He looks like he's contemplating suicide. <laughs> Maybe if we beam him out, he'll come become two people. No? The M- M- Fark. Yeah. This podcaster must die. Oh, I'm hoping. <laughs> I knew you'd say that. Um, I, one, I can see Fark changing his Twitter name to that. The M Fark Multitronic Unit. I like that. Um, be done. Yeah. M Fark. M Fark. Yeah. Five year mission. I could have thrown some special effects in like I did last week, but you know, I thought this would hold its own. Five year mission.net, please. <laughs> Become big fans because we are ourselves. We want to remind everyone listening that you can support the Trek Geeks Podcast Network via Patreon. There you can see new designs for both our annual supporters pin and our annual t-shirt for 2020, as well as get unedited audio of all of our podcasts along with some additional perks, Dan. Perks are good. Lots of perks. But right now we want to take a moment to thank our associate producers of Trek Geeks. We are so grateful for their support. So thank you so much, Adam Sanders, Brandon Everidge, Heather Sohn, John Krikorian, Rick Tatro, Trey Womack, Sean Lynn, Tim Robertson, Tim Serdar, Vikram Bhatt, Greg Rozier, Andy Fark, Kimberly Francis, Ron Robel, Brooke Horton, Christina Werther, Jim McMahon, Luke Burnham, Eric Sakian, Lisa Tomlinson, Jamie McGregor, and the gracious and wonderful Conrad Hutchins. Well, I'm not quite sure what was there, but all I saw was the top of your head. Um, <laughs> a little concerned. We also want to thank our Trek Geeks producers for their support. They are Ken Tripp, Casey Shafsky, Charlie Mulvey, Chris Trebuzio, Craig Ewing, Eric Extreme, Jackie and Chris Hackney, Leonel Marchand, Matt McGonigal, Mike Bovia, Sean O'Halloran, Peter Craig, Ken Bird, Jamie Rogers, David Hood, Rachel Delaney, Kyle Castillo, and the lovely and talented Jess Fashon. You too can become a producer on the Trek Geeks Podcast Network. Head on over to patreon.com slash trekgeeks today. Dan, next week, it's been a long time since we've done something like this, but 
We are going to welcome a very special guest to the show. And with the current pandemic, this just might be exactly what the doctor ordered. <laughs> I see what you did there, buddy. That's I good. hate you so much. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah, dude, I got to say, I am jumping out of my skin right now because I am so excited to welcome another DS9 alumni to the show. From being genetically enhanced to being an operative for Section 31 to his close and sometimes complicated friendships with Garrick and Miles O'Brien. Many fans consider Dr. Bashir to be their favorite doctor of any Star Trek series, and we are honored to welcome the one and only Alexander Siddig to the show for a stroll down Deep Space Nine memory lane. Next week on Trek Geeks, the flagship of the podcast network for your fandom. It's hard to believe that... Uh that Sid is going to talk to these two idiots, but we're going to have it for you next week um, right here on Trek Geeks. Of course, for more great Star Trek discussion, please check out the other member podcasts, the Trek Geeks Podcast Network. Um, we mentioned five-year mission earlier. There's Rewind, which you and I will be on soon for their 10th episode. There's uh, Polytrex. There's Trek Geeks Game Night over on our YouTube channel. Um, there's a little show called Discovering Trek, which I, I think still makes episodes yeah we should probably do one of those yeah yeah the producer should get on that i'll talk to the producer uh, but uh all kinds of stuff and of course trek geeks picard live all kinds of great star trek discussion with more coming soon more on that in a couple of weeks and of course for all the news on all the star trek yo please visit our great friends at treknews.net for now this has been episode number 216 of the trek geeks podcast we do hope you all live long and prosper at what point did he become an individual and not just a coconut accident, Bill. That's my question. Your face is a coconut accident. Whoa. I'm not wrong. You're not right. Just drink your toilet water. Music for Trek Geeks is provided by Five Year Mission. They're writing one song for each episode of the original series. Download their music at fiveyearmission.net. Trek Geeks, a Star Trek podcast, is a production of Coconut Media Works, executive producer Bill Smith. For even more Star Trek discussion, check out Discovering Trek, a Star Trek Discovery Companion, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and DiscoveringTrek.com. Bing bong! Bing bong! Uh, Bing bong! It's Britney, bitch. <laughs> if you're not a Patreon, you're not going to get that. So sorry. No, no, sorry. It's a carryover from the Patreon. I apologize. Um, I could tell the story again, but it ah, kind of gets. I don't want to hear it again. It's kind of wasted. Listen to you long enough. I don't want to hear you repeat yourself. This this means you need to start spending some of your quarantine watching The Office. Oh, that's you know that's a good point. Yeah, I should. What I've been doing at lunch lately is is finishing up Designated Survivor. So yeah, I should. Well, that's really easy because there's only like two and a half seasons. Yeah, exactly. And I'm almost done season two, so I don't have much longer to go. I um, Kelly and I are, have been binging SEAL Team on CBS All Access. Oh, yeah, so you've been... We're, really we're almost cool. caught up. Wow, cool. It's uh, They're in their third season, and of course, it'll be a little short because of the uh, the coronavirus uh, yes. shutdown of pretty much yep. everything Hollywood. Yep. Um, um, but it's a show we're really into. That's awesome. Tonight, after we're done recording, Sue and I will be watching the final episode of the season of Bosch. Yeah, I still have not. I'm still on episode four. I haven't caught back up to it. I am really, really liking the season. Lance Reddick is the coolest 
M effort on the planet Earth, I got to say. Is it better than last season? Yeah, I think it is. Yep. Yeah, by a lot? I don't know. It all depends because I know that you've said that you thought it's been a little slow this year. And one of the things that I like is that there's a lot going on. So I think it's slow so that you can stay caught up to what's happening because there's a lot of jumping around. Yeah. Um, I really like the storylines and I think it's, I think the finale is going to be interesting. I have some, I have some real bad feelings about what's going to happen tonight. I'm not going to lie, but um, we'll see. We'll okay. See what happens, yeah. So. I do have to say that um, I I thought that last season's finale, especially, was really underwhelming. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, with the the fight in yep, the airplane the over the Salton Sea. Yep. Um, just kind of meh. Yeah. So I I hope for you a, a much better finale experience than the one last year. Yeah, I think with everything that they've got set up for this episode, I think it'll be pretty good. And and like I said, Lance Reddick and, and Titus is they're oh my god, they are just so incredible. I love watching them in anything. So you know, the list of actors we wish you know would be in Star Trek yeah. somehow. I mean, Rosario Dawson's on there. Yep. Lance Reddick has been on there since before we started this podcast. For yep. me, I love that guy. Yep, he loves Star Trek. Yeah. Um, and I would love to see him at least we got in Titus a show. Already. Yeah, yeah, it's true. We had Titus in, in Voyager, right? Yeah, absolutely. And um, uh, Equal Ransom. <laughs> well, he was a uh, he was, the, he was the guy who was who had dated Belana. Yes. Yep. Max. Yep. He was good in that too. He was. So, he was. Yeah. So have you gotten used to his? Have you gotten used to his pork chop sideburns yet? No, because they are like out of control this season. They are like they look like. They were wow, yeah. They're they're pretty out there. It's his Rona hair. <laughs> yeah, I think it is. But, uh, so, what do you think of my haircut? I like it. I also noticed I haven't shaved in about a month. Uh, that's actually about six days. Okay. All right. My wife gave me a uh, a home haircut for the first. I haven't had a home haircut since I was like six. Oh wow. Okay. So we're like forty, almost forty five years. Yep. Um, and she had never done anything like this before. And I got to say, she did amazing. Great job. Yep. It's, I it's was ready to more, just and and I got to give her credit. It's better. It's it looks good for what you have to do because that's not like what I did with my hair on Sunday. That's just I just take the clippers and just yeah. The yours yeah. has some actual you know you have to watch what you're doing. Yeah, I was actually ready to take clippers and just crew cut myself. Yeah, you know to, if it came to it. But she's like, no, no, let's let's give this a shot because you always you know can do that if you really need to afterwards. Yeah. Yeah, but no, she good. did she did amazing. Yeah, fantastic. Amazing I know. haircut for an amazing person. No, it's just Kelly and I here, and she's amazing, and she didn't get her hair cut. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know what I was thinking. I don't, I don't either. You're not. God, you're stupid. <laughs> wow. Give me a compliment. That's what I get back. <laughs> <laughs> Did you expect anything less? What? Hey, what else do you expect when I'm drinking a friggin' Corona seltzer? So, yeah. <laughs> when you're drinking urine, essentially. <laughs> <laughs> That almost came out my nose. I was hoping it would. I was saving it. I noticed you were tipping the can back, and I said to myself, oh, I'm going to get him. Almost did. Damn it. Uh, oh, well. I was able to hold it in. That's okay. What are you drinking? Water? Water. There you go. That's pretty much what I'm drinking. I think uh, I'm, I think I have one of the Mio flavors in here. I think it's cherry blackberry or something like that. Okay. Oh, no, it's uh, it's pomegranate. Pomegranate. Pomegranate's good. Pomegranate Berry pomegranate are very like good that. also. I like them. Yeah. I... Um, I I like to get the concentrated thing and just get the water out from the fridge. 
So let me ask uh, ask you and all our listeners, because I really have no idea. I've been seeing a lot of stuff on Twitter lately about this thing called Animal Crossing, and people are dressing up their characters in Star Trek uniforms, and there's Federation flags. What the hell is this thing, and where do you play it? Uh, I no idea. No, I have no clue. No clue. I think Thad plays. I think Johnny plays. Um, I Pretty sure I, Brooke plays. I probably should ask, but I'm not too bright, so I didn't actually ask on Twitter, but... Um, yeah. It's a, according to the Wikipedia, you know, I never use Wikipedia as a source for anything. Okay. Animal Crossing is a social simulation video game series developed and published by Nintendo and created oh. by uh, Katsuya Iguchi. It's been around for a long time. I think it's just hit some some popularity recently with yeah, the during whole... The, during the whole pandemic. The thing. Yeah. It does, um, yeah... Um, I, well, apparently there's some kind of new version of the game that went live on February 20th of this year. Okay. Animal Crossing New Horizons. I don't know. So it's got something to do with that. I still don't care. Okay. I don't have a Nintendo device. So, um, yeah, not gonna, uh, Uh, you can play it on iOS or Android. Oh, can you really? According to the website. I'll have to check it out. Maybe I'll check it out. Um, yeah, no. No, it, I will say the people that are posting pictures of people in Star Trek uniforms is pretty cool. I'll just put myself in a Star Trek uniform. Oh, that's a good idea. Okay. Yeah. Put you, okay. Yeah. I won't say it. Anyway, hi. <laughs> that? Wow, that was harsh. I didn't you're, say anything. You were being nice to each other. You're giving me hand signals. It's, uh, that was a thumbs up. <laughs> Very, very good. No nice cover. No, no, I don't, I don't know. <sighs> so, how are you? Uh, how, how are you holding up with uh, with the Rona? You, oh, you doing okay? Yeah, oh, yeah, I'm good. Doing weight, weight, losing weight, doing great. That's what I meant to say. Wow, it's just it's just four point five percent alcohol in this Corona. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're we're going for walks every day with the pups. If we're not doing walks, we're doing our our workouts with uh, with um, dynamic strength and conditioning. Let me ask you a question about dynamic strength and conditioning. For those listening, that's the gym that we belong to. Their um, initials, quote unquote, are DSC. Yeah. Do you always call it Discovery by mistake? Because I always do. No, I don't. Because I so. always do that. Because I'm not an idiot. I, I was going to say, and Sue said, so I was making a joke because somebody posted a video on their page today wearing the DSC shirt, and she's a huge Star Trek fan. And I was going to say to Sue, you think I should ask her if she ever mistakes DSC for Discovery? And she goes, no, because you're the only person who does that. You're the only person who does that. <laughs> so, yeah. There you go. So, Stephanie's um, listening. Hi, Steph. <laughs> I've, I, I've been going to DSC as a gym longer than DSC, the TV show, has been on. Right. Right. Well, maybe that's why I keep messing it up, because I joined after Discovery. Maybe you're just an idiot. Maybe it's the simplest answer. It's Occam's it, Razor. That could be. Well, who? Is that like Schrodinger's cat? In a way, it's oh. it's the it, it postulates that the simplest answer more often than not is the right one. Oh, all right. Well, then yes. That's my answer to everything. No explanation needed. Just yes. Uh, so yes. you're an idiot. Got it. Yes. Yeah. Uh, pff, that goes without saying. I wouldn't even argue that one. Well, Brittany, are you uh, ready to do this? Yes. <laughs> oh, you sound like you're going to puke up some of that horrible Corona seltzer you're drinking. I, I might just do that. Um, okay. Just uh, just keep drinking your toilet water. That's fine. 
<laughs> Yummy. Yummy. All right, let's do it. All right. Coconut.